Welcome to the Human Up Podcast. My name is Victor Ung, and this is a podcast about how to develop emotional intelligence to create more clarity in our lives and to deepen our relationships and decision-making skills and stress management skills. This type of social and emotional learning is something that I found was very much missing in not only myself, but within the rest of society, within so many people in the workplace, in different cultures, in, in lots of very high-stress environments. And I'm just surprised that we haven't been taught these skills, being the social and emotional beings that we are. And so I'm on the journey to learn all I can about emotional intelligence, both academically and anecdotally through experience. So pulling in all the research and studies that are being done about the effects and impact of emotional intelligence and having these skills in not only the workplace, in leadership, but within ourselves and our personal, personal lives. And then through... Uh, stories and experiences from other entrepreneurs, other business owners, other creatives who um, maybe not as intentionally had developed these skills um, just in the nature of their work and how they live their life. In this episode, I talked to Di Jen Ye. She is a speaker, instructor, and a coach for emerging leaders, professionals, and students. And she is the founder of her own company called Genovate, which is a career and leadership development solution for the modern workforce. As an ICF-trained professional coach, Dia supported students as well as professionals in major corporations, academia, and startups on professional and life skills development, career planning, major career and life decisions, social-emotional intelligence, teamwork, and leadership development. We ended up talking for an hour and a half, geeking out on emotional intelligence and developing these skills. And so I decided to break this conversation into two different parts to make each of them a little more digestible. And so in this first part, you'll hear about her story in developing her own emotional intelligence through working with her coach and how that's empowered her to be more self-confident and assertive. We'll talk about her passion and mission to democratize personal and professional coaching for the lower levels of the workplace. And we'll talk about how to increase self-awareness without needing a coach. Make sure to tune in to the second part where we'll also talk about psychological safety. With that, I hope you really enjoy this episode. There's a lot of value in it, and um, so you're definitely going to want to take notes. Uh, but yeah, please enjoy after a quick message from my sponsor. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that 
I honestly have been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to, to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a, a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. All right. Hey, thank you for coming on to the podcast, D. Uh, it's really cool to, to be able to geek out on, on this stuff with you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Victor. Yeah, yeah. We got connected through a, a mutual friend, uh, CK, right? And I met him at actually one of my old college friends, sort of housewarming. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, yeah, kind of, this is why I, I really appreciate, you know, even in, in my sense, which we'll probably get into, but my story of like going into this whole journey and exploring these things to be able to just connect with other people and uh, who have, you know, similar values and cool missions. So I'm, I'm excited to have you here to kind of share your story. Yeah, likewise, too. Um, I will shout out to CK for facilitating the connection. Uh, yeah, yeah, with the <laughs> magic of doing so, getting the right people together. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just like I resonated a lot with what you had on LinkedIn, at least, and then especially with what you're doing with Genovate. Um, so I, I think we can just start there and just say what you've been working on and and how you sort of fell into that. Uh, yeah, um, so. At Genovay, uh, we are exploring how do we scale personalized social, social and emotional learning. Um, we, we, we know that there are various approaches to social emotional learning. Um, sometimes there are workshops, right, um, being delivered by professional trainers at workplace or in school environment. Uh, there are mindfulness meditations that people can do on the apps or as a group or facilitated by a professional meditation trainers. Um, basically, there are a variety of ways. And sometimes the teachers can also weave that social emotional learning into their curriculum and class projects. Uh, we see social emotional skills being needed at day-to-day -day work and life. Um, but now you ask the question of what happens after the professional development workshops? What happens after you watch a YouTube video, right? About how to influence people, how to communicate better. How do you translate all those learning from knowledge to actual behavioral change in day-to-day -day life? Um, so at Genovay, we're looking at how can we integrate technology, behavioral change science, and professional coaching mechanisms uh, to, to, to help people practice um, these, these social-emotional skills in their day-to-day -day work life as micro-behavioral change. 
And and that's what I really resonated a lot with because, you know, working in in my company before, it it was hard to see that as um as like an available space for people to explore, you know, like mindfulness and and uh, emotional intelligence and social learning and how to communicate with each other uh, properly and productively. Um, it, it just didn't seem like we had that training in the workplace or even if I were to think back within our education as well as much, right? Like yeah. they definitely kind of, um, they taught us all the things that, you know, would be helpful for our, our, the left side of our brains, uh, but not so much on the right side. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to acknowledge like when we connected and talked about the importance of social emotional learning and it's not part of the mainstream education system yet. Um, well, it's, it's great. I want to acknowledge some of the work is happening where school system is integrating that, um, CL. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that you are also, you know, your own journey, uh, leaving the company to pursue this. And that takes a lot of courage and commitment. Thank you. appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's hard, <laughs> but, and very uncomfortable, but, uh, yeah, it's been fun to, to kind of just dive in. So I guess, uh, what, I guess we can kind of just start too with a, a bit of a definition on like what social and emotional intelligence and learning means to you like what how how does it apply to both your life and and the work that you do yeah so um my own interpretation of social emotional intelligence is that um there are actually two folds to it one is are we able to recognize our own emotions and and, and then regulate our own emotions channeling a negative emotion into something that's more constructive um, what, what I'm saying is sometimes negative emotions are not always bad, right? Um, we need to, we need to feel sad. There's validity to it, but, uh, it's about recognizing, well, well, what's the emotion I'm feeling? Is it, is it constructive to my intention? And then can I regulate it? If it's not constructive to my intention, then can I regulate and shift my emotion to another emotion where it will be constructive and aligned with my intention. So that's one, it's all about our own emotion. Second is the ability to then sense other people's emotions and influence others' emotions in an empowering way. So then we're talking about this in the interpersonal relationships. This, this empathy, right? The ability to empathize and then also empower others. Very, yeah. Yeah, and and I think the easiest way to relate to how this is beneficial is in is in definitely working environments and especially in leadership uh, and management, right? How do you kind of build teams that uh, can work together, uh, you know, productively and efficiently, um, while also empowering them to you know, feel confident in, in their own decisions and ideas, um, to bring that forward. So, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and is that, it, is that the kind of a lot of the work that you would do is working with executives in leadership in that sense? Or Yeah. So, um, my personal journey, well, our, our company's passion and mission is about how do we bring, uh, social emotional learning to 
the roles that have traditionally not been exposed to this kind of trainings. Um, so what well, where we see is mid-level managers. So first of all, executives. Executives already are receiving these kind of trainings, right? They even have uh, personalized executive coaches costing at the rate of three to $500 per hour uh, at the expense uh, paid by their companies because they see the, the, the return of investment in, in empowering the leaders to perform at their best. Then we see the mid-level managers who are receiving manager trainings. Uh, this is already the norm for the industry. Um, what we are also interested, so while we can do that, what we are at Genovae, we're also looking at what are the other roles that also need social emotional intelligence skills, but traditionally has not been recognized. For example, um, let's take a look at professors um, who are conducting research at universities or research laboratories. They each, each professor is a head of the lab. Right, and they manage like a team of graduate students and postdocs. But traditionally, you think about oh, their job description involves research and innovate, and management training was never really part of that job description, traditionally speaking. But in fact, they do that. They need to do management right day by day. They are driving collaboration. They are they they are the thought leaders of their field, the expert in their field, and they are also mentoring the student, the graduate students, and um, the the, the postdocs. Uh, they are driving collaborations with other peers as well. Um, so there's a fairly a, a, a large amount of uh, uh, social emotional activities happening for PI, like the principal investigator roles. These are the faculties providing research. Um, we also see, for example, in uh, so mid-level managers train, tra- traditionally receive these workshop trainings, but how do you help reinforce these management workshop trainings as they behavior change in day-to-day work, right? Um, as they, in day-to-day conversations with their employees, as they manage the conflicts and, in, 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 and inspire the, the, their team. Um, and so that's where we also look at how can a behavior change platform, right? Um, that's mobile solution, mobile-driven solutions support that. Um, we also look at, for example, students traditionally um, at universities. Are they experiencing, like, how are they learning social-emotional skills today? What may be some of the gaps to empower um, the emotional productivity for the students? Um, instead of, uh yeah, sorry, I can go. I, I can go on and talk a lot about that space too, <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. the high level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I definitely hear that passion. Uh, but and, and it's cool because the so first of all, like me being like starting off into in my own career, uh, I didn't even really know coaching was a thing, and to hear that like ex- executives and management. Uh, gets their own coaches to you know accelerate that growth is is really cool to hear but then it kind of like well what about the rest of us right uh and so yeah that's what i uh, noticed in sort of your the the description of um of genovate too is like how do you bring executive coaching to to all levels um so that's pretty cool to hear that you're that that's the the mission there yeah yeah how do we democratize premium uh, personal professional development resources for everyone. Like imagine right. one day, right? Even immigrants 
who want to access these kind of resources, they will like I'm saying like immigrants or um, immigrants who traditionally from culturals that have not been exposed to these kind of resources can become aware and can access such resources easily. I think executive coaching is actually a very Western Western um, approach, um, mm. and it's just starting to dissimilate and and pick up traction in other cultures and countries as well. That's so, that's cool here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So imagine like the world where you know one coach per person, <laughs> anyone who wants to uh, seek empowerment, who wants to grow themselves to the next level, there is an easy access to find a, a suitable coach, to work with a suitable coach, uh, no, regardless of their income level. Right, right. And regardless of, you know, where they're at in their life or what kind of goals they have, right? Like just yeah. to even have uh, someone dedicated as both a sounding board and as someone from an outside perspective that can, you know, help you, you know, see things differently or give you, give you different ideas. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like, I've, it really would be a very interesting place for if everyone had their own coach. <laughs> yeah. It would be an exciting, empowering world, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I I think that's a interesting kind of shift to, to go into here where I want to kind of get into the, you know, your, your other, the story into like how you sort of, um, sort of benefited from your own coaching, right? And what that was like from a cultural standpoint in being able to open up and, and also see, you know, how this helps you both personally and professionally. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I guess, yeah, what, what was, I guess like where, what was your first sort of experience with uh, coaching? And and what were your thoughts on it beforehand? Yeah, I had to thank a friend. I, I thank a friend who introduced me to coaching. But let me share how my life was uh, before coaching in a yeah you know, with a, with a particular scenario. So um, a few years ago, I was working at Microsoft as a PM, and uh, in that role, uh, it was an incredible, incredibly exciting role where. Um, I get to work with very talented colleagues from different disciplines. Um, some are more senior than me and have more experiences than me. So at the same time, it's a role that requires the ability to influence without authority. I don't have authority over others, but I need to be able to influence and drive consensus on that role. Um, and, you know, I recall this conversation with my sleep level manager who said, uh, was giving me feedback and said, well, Dee, you have great ideas, but you don't speak up enough. Um, your lack mm. of confidence is the only thing that's holding you back. And uh, immediately, right, I, I just reacted by, instinctively just replied by saying, well, because I was raised by a Chinese tiger mom who always uh -huh. blame how come I don't get the three points when I got 97 on exam. And as I was speaking, right, and replying to my manager, I, I felt really powerless about how to boost my own self-confidence. Um, I, you know, like, I think especially coming from an Asian cultural, it's, you know, I, I spent, 
I, I came to the States for high school education. So I, I was able to receive influence from the Western education already, but still being raised in a um, Chinese cultural, a family with traditional Chinese cultural values, um, some it's still deeply ingrained in my mind that I need to respect authority. Um, so how do I challenge authorities if I have different opinions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was, was a new skill I had to practice uh, in my day-to-day job. And especially also in the room full of experts and, and like talented colleagues, how do I drive influence and speak up? Um, it was an, a new skill I needed to develop, except in the moment I didn't really understood what's the pathway to develop that. Right. I, I, I can kind of was in a fixed mindset, right, as opposed to a growth mindset uh, at that moment. And so thankfully, a friend introduced me to coaching, and I remembered um, paying out of my own pocket a lot, a very expensive uh, tuition for that. And um, one day, the coach was telling me, well, now go and make a phone call with your parents and tell them that you love them, you thank them for raising you, and you turned out well, and you, you know, from this moment on, you take full responsibility for your life. And I was like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> In that moment, right? Like, I was like, yeah. I'm feeling all these resentment about how I was I, parented growing up. Right. <laughs> I, I definitely got like shudders inside <laughs> hearing that. Like, ah. And then the second point was like, oh, I don't think my parents will get the message. You know, because it's right. the traditional Chinese culture. We don't really uh, voice love and affection. We don't verbalize that. And so well, they really get it. <laughs> we never communicate in such a way, right? And so I had a lot of resistance, uh, but because I paid a lot of money. And so if I don't do the homework, I wouldn't get the results. And so, yeah, so I, I, I pick up the phone and uh, called my mom and said exactly what I was told to say uh, for the sake of doing homework. And guess what my mom said in the end? Hmm. Or take a guess <laughs> how my mom uh... reacted? <laughs> Uh, did you eat yet? <laughs> like, yeah, did you eat your veggies yet for the day? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, she totally didn't get it. <laughs> right. I had a phone call and I remember that was a major turning point because the moment when I had the phone call, I felt liberated because I just told my mom that I will take full responsibility for my life going forward. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I realized, you know what? I get to define, I am the person who gets to define how I show up in life going forward. In the past, I've always, you know, felt like, oh, I needed my mom, my, my parents to change how they had parented me in order for me to become right. confident. But all of a sudden, I'm like, if I want to be confident, I have that power. So this is actually a powerful lesson about personal responsibility. Personal responsibility in owning how I show up in life, including my confidence level. And I recall um, the next, the, the coming Monday when I returned to work, I was sitting in a conference room with uh, 10 other colleagues and my more, uh, more senior PM you know, was presenting um, the, a proposal. And I remembered, you know, during that meeting, um, 
I had questions. So I raised my question of why are you doing this? Have you thought about this angle? Um, and, you know, for twice in a row, it kind of got ignored. And we all, we all have meetings like that, right? Where we raise a point and it, the meeting kind of continued without acknowledging our points. Have you had meeting experiences like that? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And so, so then if you really zoom in into that moment, like what happened in that moment right. in our mind? Typically, I would have said, oh, I already, you know, raised it twice. No one picked it up. That means probably my point wasn't important enough. And I don't want to look more stupid. And so maybe I should just drop the point. Or maybe I should address it, you know, later on in private with, with, with others. Um, and so, but I remember in that, on that day, it was different. I, I was no longer concerned about, it was like, it just totally disappeared. I wasn't even concerned about whether I look stupid. I was just like, hey, I have a point. <laughs> I have a question here and you haven't addressed my question. We're here. We're having this meeting together to make the proposal better. And so you haven't addressed my point. You need to help me understand your, your current proposal better. And so with that intention, I was able to raise the, my, my question five times throughout the meeting. And wow. finally, in the last few minutes of the meeting, I remember the senior Test managers stood up in a meeting and said, Adi, I finally got what you are saying. Uh, I suggest that, you know, like we incorporate your way of doing this. And I suggest that you guys work together. on this." Uh, and so he, he was really just giving me, finally, like someone understood, right? And that was a big aha moment for me. I finally realized uh, this is how I can make an impact by leaning in. That's what leaning in looks like. Mm-hmm. Sherry Semper talked about the importance of leaning in, right? But how do you how do you lean in? Like we all have different kind of cultural hang-ups. And for me, my cultural hang-up was like, oh, do I look stupid or not? The imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> like, the, the very strong right. inner critic coming out of the tiger mom kind of style of parenting. But the moment <laughs> once I own my personal responsibility to be confident. All of a sudden, my ego is no longer getting in the way. And it's all about focusing on, okay, what are we doing here as a team? We are trying to come up with a better proposal. We're here to contribute. And finally, like I was liberated on that meeting to, to, to voice my opinions and really bring my full perspectives to the table. And that's how impact happens. And on that day, I realized, you know, our job description is, our job isn't just about performing those PM duties and job responsibilities spelled out on the job description, right? Our job is really bringing our full selves. We are hired to bring our full perspectives to every team discussion. And that's how impact innovation happens. And hence, when I create a company, Genovate, uh, Gen means wisdom, truth, truth, and um, uh, transformation in, in Asian language and what what with Genevieve in mind means like if we want to innovate uh, through our teamwork or innovate, we need to be able to transform with wisdom and stay grounded on that wisdom internally first. That transformation is fundamental to innovation and hence Genevieve. Wow. <laughs> that is inspirational to hear through all of that. Um there, there were so many, yeah, there's so many areas I wanted to dive into, but I think throughout, I mean, so if you were to reflect back 
you know, how, um, how, how, what this transformation was like. I mean, yeah. What, what comes up when you reflect back like that? Cause it sounds like it's something that's so natural now, right? Something that's so easy Mm -hmm. now to be like assertive and, um, to at least be aware of these, these internal emotions and whatnot. But I guess I'm trying to tap into like what that is like to be in the process itself of, you know, making that, making that shift. Yeah. Such a great question. Um, I think what you are asking is actually what is transformation, right? Uh, and, and what's the process like? Yeah. Transformation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to, okay, so I think there's a myth here. A lot of times when we think transformation is, oh, you go through a process, you learn how to transform, and then once you transform, you're done. Like, it's mm. like a fireworks kind of celebration. Right, right, <laughs> uh, right. You know, it's beautiful splendors, like 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 the, the meeting, you know, the, the, the story I just shared, uh, my own personal experience at the meeting, I transformed. And voila, there's great impact. And then you stay there forever in that way. Um, no, uh, in my own experience, transformation really is a lifestyle. Have I, like, you know, through this, do I then become automatically assertive all the time? It's, I, I wouldn't say it's a unistep function. All right, am I geeking out right now? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <Okay>. I... <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's not like, it's, a, it's not like a unistep function. Actually, like, if you look at transformation as a lifestyle, I look at it as day by day. There are highs and lows. There's a lot of yeah. fluctuation with highs and lows. And I still have moments where I will catch myself experiencing my inner critic, a very strong inner critic. Still at conferences, when I was giving out workshops, uh, the, the larger the responsibility, the higher the stake, right? Um, the, the stronger the inner critic can show up and inhibit me. But what we are really developing in the process of transformation is our muscle. Well, first of all, a sense for detecting what's holding us back mm-hmm. and being able to externalize that barrier and calling it out, like, because now we have the vocabulary to call out this inner critic. And then in this process, like we have also grown our muscle, right? Our emotional resilience muscle to be able to recognize it and bounce back. And, and that this emotional agility to recognize this emotion is no longer of this thought, this limiting belief, is no longer serving me, and then I can shift to a more productive emotion or more productive mindset. It's, it's being able to recognize that in the moment and then have a way that works for you to channel the shift right in the moment. And so the faster, like the, the more developed you know, we are, the faster we can bounce back in the moment. And, and, the, and the more we can sense that. And so it's really a day, transformation is a day by day lifestyle yeah and and i like that because i think there's you know when we think there is this ultimate destination of you know what it's supposed to look like and we want firecrackers and and confetti and champagne you know uh to signify that uh it can be it can it can be like a a constant chase in that right because it's not like you'll ever I mean, you might get some version of it and it's actually important to acknowledge the small wins as well. But I think, you know, just the fact that we are chasing kind of this ultimate destination can uh, can make it that much more uh, elusive. Yeah. 
so yeah so to know that it's like a muscle that you are exercising and working out yeah um, and i think yeah Yeah. victor victor you have just pointed out a really important point and i didn't want to step over it just mention about like you know oftentimes we think about the people who are into personal development we may we may think there's this final goal destination that we're chasing after right and it's 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 easy to get into this paradigm of I'm not good enough for my personal development. I still need to get better. Yeah. Right. Like there's still more to do, which is humility. But at the same time, noticing where that perfectionism thought maybe stopping, uh, holding us back from doing the actual work uh, of personal development. I think personal development is it's growth mindset, but also comes with, you know, a sense of self-acceptance. And, and just accepting however I am right now is perfect. And I'm yeah. excited about, about, who, about who else I will become as I continue learning and growing, right? I'm excited about that unknown um, self as I continue to evolve and grow. But I am I'm accepting however I am. And so that, that, that's, that's the practice of compassion, self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah, excited about who you can be versus what you're not, right? Right. Um, and and it, it reminds me of what you mentioned earlier of the, you know, the the 3% that your your parents would kind of harp on, right, or, or focus so much on. And I, I very much resonate with that, you know, where I, I think my parents are, um, I, there were some you know, tiger helicopter traits in there. Uh, but I think they're, they were very, um, open as well. Um, but there was definitely a hint of like, okay, well, you know, what are you going to do next? Like what's, you know, and, and there wasn't time to, um, sort of embrace the, the achievements that you have done Mm -hmm. in the way along the way. Um, Yeah. Well, I think you, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, um, I, I think like you just brought up another really great point about the importance of acknowledgement. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, how, how we have been schooled or parented can impact um, our mental habit uh, of, of what we pay more attention to. Like, do we make time to acknowledge our level of progress? Right? You can imagine growing up in a, family where parents actually take time to acknowledge a little progress. Uh, someone like that, someone who grows up in a family like that can, you know, would, would inherit the change. Yeah. And, and now I, I do kind of think about the, the difference between Western and Eastern kind of culture and, and sort of, you know, what they thought was right or wrong in both sides. Right. Where uh, I can see, you know, of course, we're talking about being able to celebrate the small wins, right, and and acknowledge that. Um, but then on the other extreme end is is you know getting a trophy for even participating in a sense, you know, uh, and and so this is where I kind of I, I do bounce a lot back and forth, and which I am coming to appreciate about myself, even though it is a lot of conflict, but it's, I've always value balance. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with being able to recognize those achievements, but not kind of 
think that you know you, you sort of deserve the the trophy even mm-hmm. just for like a little bit of amount of work right so this is where i do appreciate the you know the the sort of work ethic to a certain point that is common in, in asian and immigrant cultures of mm-hmm. you know always always be working and getting better um but of course balancing that with being able to slow down and really you know take one step at a time as yeah. well yeah totally yeah. um yeah i really appreciate you for, for bringing this up like the um i think we've been kind of on, on the theme of parenting a, a bit and, and similarly this can apply to how managers right carry out the conversation with yeah the team um and, and it's, it's about like what you acknowledge right um is it acknowledging study have found out acknowledging efforts acknowledging and in coaching sessions like the the art of acknowledgement for a coach to a client oftentimes comes from acknowledging oh you have just had this little win what can you acknowledge what worked for you to achieve this little and how can you keep having more wins like this by sustaining that practice yeah so yeah yeah it's acknowledging the efforts behind and also acknowledging the approach you know a deepening self-awareness of what has supported you to have this little way to make this progress and how can you keep it up yeah and and this is the this is why i wish everyone had a coach <laughs> you know it's like these are because i was going to ask like you know how do you come about the awareness of these types of things right like without having kind of someone to um to kind of bounce bounce things off of or or to you know ask these these types of questions um uh you know because it, it right now as we talked about earlier too is you know coaching is a very much a privilege right it's mm-hmm. for those who usually it's usually reserved for executives and and those with disposable income and you know i've been struggling a lot with that is like you know the people who could benefit so much from it usually uh, can't afford it or or don't feel like they can prioritize that mm-hmm. um which i think is another comment on immigrant cultures as well cuz where where money was scarce they had to you know put food on the table versus you know sit around talking about our feelings right um anyway so so yeah like oh yeah so the question though was like how how do you sort of raise that awareness within ourselves if maybe we don't have access to those resources um or someone to uh to ask those questions mm-hmm. how do we what are some ways to deepen self-awareness uh without an expensive professional coach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I really believe like I think coaching is professional coaching is one of the ways, one of the resources. But really like I think coaching is a communication approach. And professional mm-hmm. coaches obviously are trained and continue to deepen that art of practice for they they, they have this ability to help people see their limiting belief in just few questions in a very uh, efficient conversation, right? Um, right. I, I think by even, say, without professional, expensive professional coaches, can we help people learn these concepts, first of all, so raise awareness of these vocabularies and concepts, 
For example, I'll use imposter syndrome as an example. A lot of times, uh, we, we find a lot of people like say, I, I'm not confident enough. How can I be more confident? Right? That's a, that's a sheer struggle among many people. And But if we can educate them on, you know, raise awareness of the, the vocabulary, say, oh, are you experiencing imposter syndrome? Do you know what imposter syndrome is? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, right? And, you know, often and that's that's one of the examples of how you can help people externalize their own barriers and be able to examine their own barriers from a third person you know, perspective. So so I think there's a fairly, uh, uh, I think YouTube video is starting to, you know, have some of those, I mean, books, right? There are a lot of books um, about these topics. And so motivated individuals actually have a, a decent amount of resources to get started. Uh, I'm sure now there's like different kind of training workshops, even for individual consumers, they can, if they're interested, they can follow these influencers or trainers um, to, to hear them speaking and raising awareness of, of how these uh, coaching concepts are being practiced in daily life, right? So this is just raising awareness of the vocabulary. Um, second is, I think we can also uh, teach people on how to communicate like a coach. How do you uh, listen uh, mm-hmm. empathically? How can you listen deeply? How do you, how, and then how can you ask thought-provoking questions? Now, this is this does require a more advanced communication skills uh, to make happen. And so, but but it's, it's it's entirely possible. There are people who are already have that communicate that level of communication maturity. Say within an organization, right? Like we're seeing um, organizations training certain organizations are training their managers already to be able to speak like a coach as they carry out the meetings with their employees. Um, but can you imagine having a peer coaching culture within an organization where yeah. employees, right, are trained to be able to ask thought-provoking questions with each other in an empowering, constructive way? Yeah, I would have loved that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I think about, too, you know, in that environment, because there, there definitely would require... A huge amount of trust in that, you know, for both sides to be able to feel comfortable asking the question and then for the other person to be able to open up and to be vulnerable and express what is really getting at them at the core of it. Right. Right. Um, And if I were to, you know, think about how I might react in, in certain situations from before where I would, I would get, defensive thinking that expressing that any any sense that I don't know what I'm doing or that I have trouble or that I you know admitting to myself that you know like for example hearing your your um was it your your manager or your uh someone who said that you weren't assertive enough and mm-hmm. confident enough um I I would I would very much get super defensive on that and uh, but it sounds like that was a very, you know, kind of big shift in, in adjusting, you know, how you're going to adjusting that trajectory of how you're going to show up in, in the rest of how you work and live. And, right. uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm not exactly sure if there's a question in there, but it's just kind of, I kind of try to think about how I might react and it's, it's, it would be hard if we don't have that sort of trust, uh, in there. I think, yeah, I, I, this is a really uh, astute observation. Um, so I really appreciate you for articulating it. I think what you're saying is like, 
you know, how do we ensure psychological safety? Yeah. Psychological safety, yeah. right? Within a team, yep. within an organization to do so. And till this day, I so appreciate Peter, who was my skip level manager at that time, who gave me that feedback. Because from day one, Peter is this um, just great people manager. He really manages to empower, empower employees like me. Um, and, and I'm sure for other teammates too. And he, he made it safe. Like he made it so safe that, um, well, first of all, there are a few characteristics you know, that Peter did so well. I know I'm slapping you at a cliffhanger, but uh, I want to make sure that these episodes are digestible for people. I realize how short of attention span we have these days. So um, make sure, though, to tune in to the, the second part of this series where we talk about psychological safety as well as her experience and relationship with the five core emotions. So make sure you have that second part downloaded and queued up and ready to go. And I'll catch you there.